When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Drop pass for Arsenal McDavid down the middle. Wrist shot. Connor McDavid just like that. Smith, three clubbing right hands. Right hands have it. Big right-handed shot from Mike Smith. This is the battle of Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers. Representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. On the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chad. you had a great long weekend thanks for wrapping it up with us here on inside sports on 6 30 chad my name is reed wilkins always a pleasure to talk to you and today we feature a best of show here on inside sports so we'll uh, bring you some snippets of some really cool conversations we've had in recent days and weeks we have ricky ray coming up we have sir vincent rogers scheduled as well offensive lineman for the edmonton eskimos and some comments from todd mcfarlane of course comic book mogul action figure mogul and a former member of the Edmonton investment group that uh, took over the Oilers after Peter Pocklington owned the team and then that group eventually uh, sold the Oilers to Daryl Cates but we're going to start it off tonight with a current player for the Edmonton Oilers who's been riding out the pandemic the best that he can winger Alex Chason. I decided to stay in Edmonton I kept my house here um Staying busy, I, I built a little gym in my place, so uh, I've been able to keep up with uh, some of the workouts and taking care of some of the little injuries I had uh, towards the end of the season. Uh, other than that, there's been uh, a lot of cooking, some puzzles, uh, some board games, um, things that uh, we haven't done in, in the past uh, two, three, four years, and um, I guess the, the first couple of weeks were all right, but now it's, it's getting to that point where, you know, it's a little bit longer, but you got to follow the rules and you got to stay, um, healthy. And, um, that's where we're at. So what was more of a workout building the gym or using the gym equipment once it's put together? <laughs> Yeah, building was was uh, was actually uh, quite a bit of work. Uh, I haven't really done much work with my hands uh, in the past uh, ten years or so. So, uh, definitely worked on my patience and uh, things like that. So, uh, I'm glad I got that right away. And uh, just I know, I, at least for myself, I know I speak for a lot of people. Just working out and it just makes you feel better. So. Um, I think it's a key part of that. And luckily here in Edmonton, actually, we've been um, getting some nice weather. So uh, just being outside, getting some vitamin D, things like that, I think it's, it's helped to get through the days. 
All right. You mentioned you've been doing a little more cooking than you usually would. Do you have a specialty in the kitchen? Uh, lately, it's been uh, fish tacos. I uh, picked up a recipe on, on the internet, and um, those are going on two or three times a week. So, um, you know, it's different for everyone. I think for us, you know, we're luckily, you know, we're being part of, of the orders in the organization. You know, we have uh, breakfast and some lunch available at the rink, and um, usually you're only making, you know, one or two meals a day at home or you can go and, and pick up some lunch or things like that. And obviously with um, us staying home, there's been, you know, three meals a day, uh, some snacks. So it's a lot more time in the kitchen. And, uh, but you know, it comes with that. I think I've, I've handled it pretty well trying to prepare ahead and things like that. So we're not spending you know, two, three hours in the kitchen every day. It gives us time to do something else. So, uh, but fish tacos have definitely been uh, my go-to lately. All right. Sounds fun. Alex Chason joining us on Inside Sports. So in terms of the conditioning, I mean, I, I guess we're kind of in off-season mode. I, I'm assuming the challenge is, though, you don't know exactly when you're going to come back. I mean, you're not building to be right there on September 15th or whatever the first day of camp is. How are you dealing that with that uncertainty with the, the cycle of what your body usually goes through? Yeah, I think that's been the, the, the hardest part is uh, I've kept in, in touch really well with our strength coach, uh, Chad. And, um, you know, I think for us as, as athletes, we've, at least for me, I've, I'm a big routine guy. So I've, I kind of have a plan every summer of, okay, these are the things I need to take care of for, first. And then this is my plan for the rest of the summer. So um, it's hard not knowing right now. The unknown is is, is probably the hardest part because – you know, you're trying to stay healthy and push yourself, but, you know, you don't know the day, the time that we're all going to get back at it. And you don't want to be behind, but you also don't want to do too much. So it's a fine line in, in finding what's what's the right amount, what's not. Um, and I think that the big part, too, is being off the ice. Um, I have one of those Airdyne bike, uh, you, know, you know, I ride – probably four or five times a week but it's, it's hard to replicate the, the skating so uh, I know it for me in my career it's definitely been the longest I've been off the ice so um, that's the hard part too it's you can work out you can train as much as as much as you want as hard as you can but if, if you're not skating and the feeling on this on your skates and uh, shooting and all these things stick handling filling the pockets it's hard to replicate that so um, they're all adjustment period, but every player in the league and all the guys that are playing hockey or even other sports are probably finding, uh, that's probably the hardest part to train for. What do you think of these proposals that maybe there'd be a group of teams all gather in one city? Edmonton's been listed as a possibility, Vancouver, and maybe there are six to eight teams together in a pod and they, either finish the regular season together or do a couple of rounds of the, of the playoffs together. It would involve possibly being in quarantine for a long time and, and away from friends and family, you know, you know, again, to, to finish the season. What do you, what do you think of that proposal that's been floated around? Yeah, I think for me, there's, there's two things. Um, I think that the first part is, is the format. If the format is quality, uh, it gives times for players 
to, to get back and, um, you know, give us time to, to prepare the right way um, and also the integrity of the playoff. You know, if, if that is done the right way, then um, I think that's a key part for me. I think the other part is the safety of the players and the staff that's around the, the, the players as well. So, um, you know, we're, we're athletes, and I've said this before, the NHL is a privilege, and I get all that, but we're also human beings. So if, if we're put in a position where the safeties are correct, um, you know, the, the guidelines that are being made are, are the right ones, and then I'm all for it. But I think those are two things that are key for me, and I'm assuming are also key for players. Have you thought about what it might be like to play an NHL game with no fans in the stands or perhaps limited fans in the stands? Because it sounds like whenever we do get back, they'd probably have to limit or restrict attendance to the games. Yeah, I, I think for me, Reed, I'm, I'm more – I miss the guys. I miss the game. Um, I miss competing. So will be different, obviously. Uh, be a lot different. Uh, obviously, at this part of the year, uh, mid-May, usually on the regular season, you're probably in, in, in the second round or going into the third round, and you're kind of feeling the buzz around the cities and playing you know, away at home. They're all different things. So that's all going to be different. But, you know, we're all these, you know, this, there are circumstances right now that all of us um, and, and the entire planet we've never faced before. So, um it is what it is if we get back and like I said the integrity of the game and the way the format is and the safety of the players is there then I'm all in for playing so you're not this you're not if it's 16 teams 24 in the playoffs whatever as long as it's kind of balanced and kind of fair you're not too worried about the exact number of teams that would be allowed to participate in the postseason yeah I mean I, I think for me obviously, us here in, in Edmonton, we've, we've done well this year, but you know, we're, if the season ended, we, we would be in the playoff spot, but you know, there was probably seven to 11 games left for, for some teams and their team is right on the bubble. So you got to think of that too. Um, you know, perfect example was St. Louis last year. They, they, I'm, if I'm correct, I think they finished, you know, eighth or seventh in the in the conference, it was they were one of the last wild card spots, and um, they came in, and they won the cup. So uh, all those teams that are right on the cusp there, they they have a chance to win as well. So uh, I think there's way more parity in the league now than it may have been 10, 15 years ago. So um, you got to also think about those teams. So. Um, it's hard to be hard for me to cut the, 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 the teams at 16 and, you know, you put your, yourself in another team's shoe that's a point or two away and that's two, three games, then uh, I'm not sure if that's fair. Alex Chason joining us on Inside Sports. I, I guess we'll kind of look back on, on the season a little bit, even though it's, it's not uh, obviously officially over and the NHL is trying to, to finish it. You guys were 2017-4 and four in the first half of the year, so, you know, an, an okay record. You'd had some ups and downs. But then since December 31st, you guys had gone 17-8-5. and five. Really good record. You know, you'd been able to put some space between you and some other teams in that playoff chase. 
I, I know Alex, it often doesn't come down to just saying, oh, well, that's the date where things changed because there's a lot going on throughout the season, but that is kind of a demarcation point. So what, what did happen from New Year's Eve onward? Is there one or two things you could put your finger on that led to the team having such a good record? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, we had that road trip at the start of January, if I'm not mistaken. We played Buffalo, Boston, Toronto, Montreal, um, Calgary, and, well, we all played some really good teams there, and I think for us as a group, we've we've learned to play in tight games, um, and that it takes time. You can't just show up one year and decide that your team knows how to play when you're down a goal or up one and going into the third. And um, I thought we made adjustment uh, going into January. And um, obviously our specialty teams were great. Um, we've gotten some great goaltending. We found more depth throughout our lineup. So I, I think there was a lot of new faces too at the start of the year. There's a new coaching staff. Uh, takes time to get everyone gelled together and, uh, it seemed that starting in that December 31st game and going on till the season was paused, we've we've kind of all accepted our role and kind of ran with it. And um, everyone was in it. And um, we have a special group. So and that was one thing for me last year. I saw things here that um, reminded me of a successful team that I've played on before and you know, I thought with adjustment of a guy or, or two and um, some different looks, it's it's given us a, a new uh, uh, type of team. So uh, we've added guys that with experience, guys that are a big part of the locker room, and uh, they've made a big impact on um, the quality of our team. And finally, Alex, in terms of, of your season, I mean, you, you and I have, have done a lot of interviews over the last couple of years since you came to Edmonton, and I know you're always very thoughtful about your game and always thinking about the the ups and downs of the seasons and, and, and what you need to work on. I mean, you scored some big goals this year. You had the overtime winner in Dallas. Were you... I don't want to use the word satisfied because you want to be more than satisfied, but were you, were you, were you happy overall with uh, what you've been able to do so far this season? Yeah, I mean, being honest, I, I think the first uh, October and November probably um, weren't my best hockey. I, I, I think uh, I've gone away from the things that had made me successful, and uh, I've lost a little bit of that in my game. So going into December, I thought it was kind of like, okay, like this is time to take some games and like rebuild my game. And um Towards the second half of the season, I, I think I've, I've provided more depth to our team, uh, better leadership. Um, obviously, my play was better. So uh, I think, you know, I, I, I never really look at a season and look at my points and stuff, but I think I'm sitting at 11 goals and 24 points, something like that. If, if I had a better start and um, I think I'd be sitting around the 15 goals, uh, you know, probably around 30 points. Um, so those are kind of like what I'm shooting for in, in the league. It's, it's a tough league to score, but if you get in between the 15 to 20 goals, um, you've been a good player for a team. So uh, I like my second half. I think uh, there was a lot to like. I was feeling pretty good going towards the last eight, 10 games of the season. And um, that was a little bit unfortunate, I guess, going into the playoff is, you want your game to be 
you know, where it was at for me. So, um, nothing I haven't done well before. Uh, I've changed teams. I've seen different coaches. Now we're obviously COVID-19 is, is a lot bigger than hockey, but, um, I think mentally it's, it's, I've felt pretty good overall. And, um, but I'm hitching to get back and competing. I think that's the biggest part I miss about the game. Yeah, well, yeah, for sure. I mean, it'd be it'd be awesome to to finish this season and see what you guys could do in the postseason for sure. Alex, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and thanks uh, for checking in with Oilers fans tonight on six thirty. Chad, glad you're doing well. Enjoy the workouts and enjoy your work in the kitchen too, buddy. Take care. All right, thanks, Reed, and I hope everyone here in Edmonton stay safe and keep following the guidelines. All right, so that's Alex Chase. Always good to talk to Alex. Very thoughtful, uh, always very, uh, very critical of his own game and, and uh, working on ways to, to fit in. Had a really explosive first half of the season last year for the Edmonton Oilers. Does kind of tend to score in bunches. He had three goals in five games before the season shut down in mid-March. And uh, you heard him say it. He's hoping to get back at it. He's fine with an expanded playoff format. Now, we don't know if the NHL is going to be able to logistically pull that off, but... He says, you know, if the if the NHL does go straight to the playoffs, he thinks there should be more than just 16 teams because there could be some uh, bubble teams eliminated without getting a chance to rally in the final 10 to 12 games of the regular season to get in. Always good to catch up with Alex. Had a really good chat with CFL legend Ricky Ray about his season in the National Football League. Remember, he led the Eskimos to the Grey Cup in 2003, signed with the New York Jets. And look, he knew he was he was going to be in tough. He was a little lower on the depth chart. And Ricky told me that made it tough. That made it tough to improve. Yeah, I mean, it was difficult in a sense that uh, you really didn't know how you were doing like um you know when you're when i was in the cfl you know i was playing every week um you know i was contributing to the team um you know you can kind of you get a lot of feedback from your coaches on you know how, how you're playing what you need to do to improve and when i was in the nfl you know going through training camp and, and the off-season program uh, you know i'm only getting very limited reps say we had you know 20 plays of, of skelly or team you know I, I might be getting like the last three reps of each of those periods where um being a starter in, in the cfl you're getting you know 15 out of 20 reps so you're getting a lot of opportunities to to really go out there and, and kind of improve and get feedback where with the Jets, you know, you're getting three plays at the end of each period and, you know, there's not a lot of opportunities to really improve. And then when you get in the meetings, um, you know, you're watching the film with the coach and you're going through all the plays that Pennington had and then, you know, Brooks had and then we may get to the reps that I had. So you're not always getting to watch um, you know, the reps that you even took. So that was a little tough to get used to because you just you just didn't know how you were doing. You didn't have that feedback that you normally would have. So um, it was hard to really get a lot of, um, I guess, confidence, confidence boost with it. All right, that's Ricky Ray. Some recollections of his one year in the National Football League with the New York Jets. Came back to the Eskimos in 2005, and they won the Grey Cup again. 
Well, the Canadian Football League has been in the news a lot lately, looking for some financial aid from the federal government. The Players Association felt a little bit left out of that process. They've now mended those fences with the CFL and will work together going forward. And, uh, of course, last week, Peter Fragascatos, who's a Liberal Member of Parliament in London, Ontario, said that he would be alarmed if federal bailout money that went to the Canadian Football League wound up going to uh, American players who spend part of their time living in the United States. And that did not sit well with Sir Vincent Rogers, offensive lineman for the Edmonton Eskimos. Uh, when, I first, uh, when I first saw it uh, online on Twitter, I was just kind of taken aback by it. Um, it just seemed it came off as... Um, I'm looking for the right term. You know, I don't want to be, I don't seek to be offensive or, you know, I'm not trying to attack him per se, but it just came off insensitive um, and like he was misinformed, you know, on the role of the American player in the CFL. Um, I don't claim to have all the answers or know everything um, or anything like that. So I'm not trying to come off in in that way at all. But it just seemed really insensitive. I know he's a really intelligent guy, him being a politician and being where he is. I know that there's a fair amount of work that he's had to put in and things he's had to endure to get to, get to where he is. And it's no different from the American player who's playing in the Canadian Football League. But I do think he's um, likely misinformed or he was insensitive or ignoring um, certain truths in the midst of it all. And so the first thing that was alarming to me was, you know, how can there if there are benefits available for our league how could we be excluded we pay canadian taxes just like the canadian citizens and in some cases some guys pay a lot more than you know some canadian citizens um it's not like we we've come to the cfl and asked for a handout each each american player that's active in the Canadian Football League has come and had to earn his keep. There are certain hurdles and things that we have to jump and certain things that we have to do to even, you know, earn our keep in the CFL. It's not it's not a simple process, you know. We have a rate, we have ratio rules, you know, and we have to adapt to a different game than what we're used to uh, from playing down south. So um, we don't come to the CFL, you know, looking for anybody to hand us anything. Most of us come to the CFL hungry, looking to contribute, looking to play football. We just love ball, and I think we've created um, a really good and special environment in the CFL with the Canadian players and the American players and the global players. There's the environment of inclusiveness where, and inclusion where, you know, we all come together and play a game for a living, but we're all putting, you know, into it. We're all investing into it. And so to exclude, you know, anyone from anything that the CFL um, is given or, you know, whatever the case is, I thought that was insensitive for him to say that or he was misinformed on you know the fact that guys do pay canadian taxes and we are um in in a lot of the surrounding cities and provinces giving back and you know appealing to the youth and just trying to do things in the in the community as well as you know performing on the field and um we also live there at least half of the year where we're you know likely renting and paying into you know paying into you know the canadian community and everything with our with our earnings as well so to hear something like that it was just kind of alarming in that way 
So just to, I mean, you kind of explained it, but even if you list your off-season home as Houston or, you know, Mike lives in Seattle or, or whatever, it doesn't matter. Everything you make in Canada uh, your your home state or home uh, or your home state in the United States never gets any of this money through taxes. It's all Canadian. We we pay we pay Canadians the taxes, and I, I personally, you know, some guys work here in the states in the off season. I personally do not. Um, early in my career, I you know did work and do things in the off season. Um, but I personally don't work in the off season, and so my income personally comes from my job with um, as a football player in the Canadian Football League. So I pay taxes there, uh, there, and I also have a requirement here with my wife working here. And with us paying taxes together, you know, I am paying taxes in both places. I, I certainly pay taxes on my salary and what I make in Canada, and also um, we have to. It's adjusted what we have to pay as far as our taxes here um, to the U.S. as well. So, you know, it, it, I, I just didn't I didn't understand why we would be excluded in a situation like that. We're a league. We're united. We're all together. Why would there be any exclusion of if, you, if the league is in need of help? Why would you exclude a certain aspect of the league? I just thought that was kind of discriminatory in that way. Sir Vincent Rogers joining us tonight on Inside Sports, offensive lineman for your Edmonton Eskimos. Sir Vincent, i got to ask you this question, and this comes up a lot, and I'm sure you've heard it, and I had Ryan King on the show on Friday, who is a teammate of yours and uh, on, uh, with the uh, the CFL Players Association as well as uh, as one of the reps. And there's a lot going on in the world right now, and you are going to get the reaction of some people who say, why are we worried about athletes and team owners in a time like this? How would you respond to that? Oh, absolutely. I understand that. I understand that there are a lot of people, you know, that have, have different circumstances as a result of this pandemic, and I would never minimize what someone else is going through. Um, you know, but, but these are our personal issues as well. Outside of football and off of the field, we're regular men just like everybody else. We, you know, have issues in our personal life just like everybody else. We pay bills. We, Our life approach is no different than any other person that's going through anything. So we're affected financially as well. The CFL is not a league that generates you know, hundreds of millions or, you know, billions of dollars like a league like the NFL, like the, in that way. And we are appreciative of the salaries that we, we make. We're not minimizing that. But I don't think, you know, anyone struggling in this pandemic could look at us in any kind of way as if we're not, you know, affected as well. We're affected uh, just as much. If we're not working, we're not making money either so we're affected financially just like the next person and I, and of course there are a lot more people out there that are in worse position than us but i assure you that there are younger guys in our league that are like hurt that are hurting right now financially that we're looking forward to these tra- to training camps and getting on the field as a form of income a lot of guys are not veteran players that are proven in the league that receive off-season bonuses or 
you know, whatever it may be to keep them afloat in the offseason. A lot of guys are literally playing football because they love the game, not because it's financially, you know, prosperous for them to do so. And so I think a lot of people don't understand that and know that. And a lot of people look at us as if we're not regular human beings like everybody else. I know we do a lot of heroic things on a football field in the midst of the game. But we are affected, you know, as well. This is affecting us, our families. We have finances and financials that we have to maintain. We have bills. We have obligations to our family, just like the next person. And so I would just, you know, challenge anyone that's viewing it that way to, like, you know, take a step a step back from viewing us as just football players that get on the field and strap on helmets. And also view us in the light as regular human being that, you know, not only pay, pays bills there during during the season, we come home in the off season as well in the state and pay bills and have to make ends meet and have to provide financially and and things like that. So that's I, I wouldn't minimize anybody else's struggle, but I certainly you know, challenge them to look at us in the same light. We're, you know, we're out here trying to provide and, and, and trying to make it like everybody else. All right, that's the guy they call Sir V. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see him on the field last season. He was hurt in training camp. He suffered a torn tricep. It was really cool to have an extended conversation with Todd McFarlane last week, former member of the Edmonton Investors Group. I can remember his uh, artwork. I was reading The Amazing Spider-Man when he took over the book in the late 80s, and uh, he sort of revolutionized the way that Spider-Man was drawn. And I talked to McFarlane about those Oilers' third jerseys that he helped design in 2001. I'll tell you how that came about. We were I was up in Edmonton. It, it may have been, I don't remember, but it may have been during the Wayne Gretzky retirement ceremonies. And I was up in the office and I saw the book where they were talking about doing the third jersey. Now, they were hesitant. They, were, they didn't want to grab, jump on the bandwagon. Not all the teams were doing it at that point. And, and uh, you know, Kevin Lowe, who was, who was in management, was like, eh, you know, he thought it was a, a, too much of a gimmick. Uh, but I saw they had spent some money on some designs, right? And I saw the designs. And I don't know if you remember the Kings did this one. They used to call it the Burger King uh, jersey. And it was like a big giant king on it. And then they did these fades. I remember they were doing these fades and all this other silly stuff on it. Uh, the, the, the Phoenix one had like a gecko and cactuses on it. It was ridiculous. Uh, and, the, and the Tampa Bay had the, you know, looked like, raining it was raining on your jersey it was just silly but the fade i just I, I looked at it and went i don't guys i don't get why nobody's doing a hockey jersey we're playing hockey this is hockey like why do we keep doing what to me look like sort of toward the front shirts right i get it i get that sort of the hip design for other sports not for hockey so i i convinced them i go look at let me just give you some designs i'll do it for free because they'd spend, they go, well, we don't have a budget. We spend a lot of money on this Madison Avenue design from New York. And I went, duh, obviously they don't like hockey. Uh, let me, let me give you some designs. And oh, by the way, just so you guys know in advance, it's going to be old school. I'm going old school. It's going to be, which is why I even went to the tie downs on the neck. Cause nobody was doing that at that time. Right. Well, I just thought it was super cool. Like that, that to me was all those hockey cards I had as a kid, big stripes, you know, at the bottom, big stripes on the arms, straight, let's, let me also argue, straight stripes, because at that point, even like the Flames 
you know, they were doing these diagonal stripes. Like, like what is that? Right. So, I, and I decided that I wanted to use colors that were super popular and recognizable. So when you saw the Jersey with your own eyes, to me, I called it like the Dallas Cowboy colors. Right. But it, when you saw it on TV, I knew that the, that the Navy would blow out to black, but then it, that's okay. Cause then it'd be like black and white and silver, but and then that's the Raiders and the Yankees. And those are super popular colors. Um, and so I, I sort of started that premise and then I just came up with the design and started going through the literally going through the, the record books and finding, finding numbers that were relevant to the history and then trying to come up with a design that was big and strong and bold. And, and, and to me, having angles and points, that's always, that's always bold. Let me, let me tell you from my perspective what, what a strong logo is. A strong logo is a logo that anybody will wear regardless of the sport, right? So when you look at that, that wheel and that wing for the Detroit Red Wings, it doesn't say hockey. There's no hockey puck. There's no hockey stick. There's none of that. A lot of the minor league teams in the AHL and the IHL, everything always had a hockey stick on it. Like instead of being the polar bears, you, like in making a cool polar bear, they always have to have them biting or holding a stick. Like stop it. Stop it. You're limiting who you're limiting. Like the Boston Bruins is a bee with the spokes on it, right? It's just, it's just a classic cool look. So I, I wanted to just do – something that was a design that anybody you put that design on a white or black shirt or navy shirt anybody anywhere would wear it because again at that time because i lived here in phoenix they had a third jersey and if you remember it was the coyote and they put it in the dark green and down at the bottom it was tan like the desert and they put cactus and they put they put like uh, uh, geckos which are which are little lizards on it and and all i can remember was sitting there going to you're telling me i just want to i just want to be clear whoever designed this and i don't know who it was but you think some dude from brooklyn wakes up someday and he turns to his wife he's a butcher or whatever he is and he goes honey it's my birthday coming up and you know what i need I need me one of them jerseys, one of them hockey jerseys. I don't even play hockey, but I need me one of them hockey jerseys. And it's got like, you know, one of them little geckos, it's got a gecko on it. And it's got them, like one of them cactus on it. Cause I want to walk down the street of Staten Island and the boroughs so that I look like a, what are you talking about? That guy will basically be ostracized for the rest of his natural life. Right. But you put something that's got blades on it and it's got black color on it and it looks badass it got a big gear on it that guy in brooklyn could wear that so that was sort of the big the big thought and then and then i i, I drew that and and then i the shoulder patch and i just said hey those are my only two designs one goes on the shoulder and one goes on the chest you pick my my preference would be the one with the blades go on the chest but you know what you guys make make it so did i create eight or ten of them yeah but i learned long ago never show your eighth best drawing to somebody in a suit because they will always pick it. So, <laughs> all, so you do eight drawings yourself, you pick your favorite two, and then you show those because at worst, they're going to pick your second favorite. Um, and anyways, they, they, ended up, they ended up going, huh, not bad. And they had to take it up. And Kevin, Kevin Law, I remember 
uh, 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 sort of coming saying, you know what, I was against it, but I saw that you used the, the history of the, the team and the stats and, and you, you try to pay tribute to things. So we're going to, we're going to let this thing go. And I even remember the day that they announced it and they brought it out. Cause I was in Edmonton that day. Uh, we had a couple of the players were sitting in the back room and I forget where we uh, unveiled it, but you know, we did this big production like a Vegas production with dry ice and whatever. And the kids were going to have to get the players were going to have to get dressed and come out in it. And the, up till literally five minutes until that happened, nobody knew what the design was, not even like the players for sure. Right. And so the only thing they knew was, Hey, this, the guy designing it draws spawn and he does these sort of violent comic books. And he lives in Phoenix where they have like geckos and cactus on their jerseys and hockey. And they thought this thing was going to be an abortion. Right. And uh, I'll never forget the comment that the, the couple of them were sitting in the locker room and they finally got to open the box and they pulled it out. And it just goes to show you how young hockey players were, right? And still are. That they opened it and they went, oh my God, that's cool. I'm not going to look stupid to my mom, right? <laughs> so not my wife, not my girlfriend. It was like, I'm not going to look like an idiot to mama. So, uh, that just shows that these there's a lot of 18, 19 year old kids playing hockey. Uh, anyways, and they put it on. We came out. We we showed it off, and th- and then like three hours later, they opened up all the sports outlets that and the stores you could buy it. And by seven o'clock that night, I went to a game, and half the arena had that jersey. Yeah, and I went, oh my gosh, this thing might work. So. Yeah, well, hugely popular, and like I said, people still like it. Todd McFarland joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Okay, so ultimately, uh, EIG sells to uh, to Daryl Cates. Um, yeah, I'll give you that story. I'll give you that story. Sure. That, that you know, I was getting people phoning me back and forth. You know, because there was always you can imagine with thirty plus owners. You know, we weren't always on the same page with each other, um, and so there are people going, I'm never going to sell, you know, I don't care what he gives us. I'm never, I'm never, I'm never. And others saying, Hey Todd, you know, I could use the money, you know, I look like I'm probably going to, going to go out. I'm like, okay. And I, I'm, I'm like, okay, you guys do it. I don't know why you're phoning me uh, to tell me, do what you got to do. Uh, but then, you know, I think one deadline came, two deadlines came and then finally he put his foot down and he said, okay, I've got to, I've got to drop that deadline. He raised the price a little bit uh, of what he was going to give uh, back to the investors and said at uh, five o'clock, five o'clock uh, uh, at this time, and whoever sells, sells, and whoever doesn't, doesn't. I mean, he wanted everything, but if he, he just finally accepted that if he didn't get it all, as long as he was the majority owner, he was gonna be good. So I'm like, okay. And then as I'm walking out that day at my office, cause I'm not selling, I'm like, shoot, I like them. Uh, somebody hands me a fax and says, and, 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 and it's from NHL.com, and it says every investor sells except for one. Now, I knew who the one was because <laughs> I hadn't given mine away. And, and all I remember was, what? There was like five or six guys that said they weren't going to sell. And now, and now I'm, I'm the only guy. And, and the first thought was, wow, now I can say I'm co-owner. Right. And just hope that nobody asks any details about how small the co part is. Uh, and then if I go into the owner's box now, instead of having to go to the nacho bar with 35 owners and barely getting any, 
it would just be me and this guy. And man, I could load up, right? So I'm going, oh, this would be awesome. Uh, and, and if nothing else, I'd probably be a barnacle on his side because everybody would have to go, oh, yeah, is Todd your co- co-owner? He'd have to go, yeah. And then, and then everybody would find out that he owned like 99% of it, and I only owned one or whatever. Uh, but eventually, eventually uh, there was a downturn in business, uh, in, in the toy business, which is one of my businesses. And, and so I, I needed a little bit of an infusion of cash and um, the exchange rate. Uh, I had put in, I, I, it worked out well for me. I'd put in American money when the exchange rate was favorable to me. And then when he was buying us out, the exchange rate was also favorable back to me. Uh, so I went, ah, I can either go get a loan or I can sell, sell this small piece I have and give up the nacho bar. Uh, and so I, I ended up, I ended up much to my chagrin eventually bailing me in the last holdout. All right. Good stuff there with Todd McFarlane. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.